Please remain standing and pray with me. Almighty God, in this moment, please come to us in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. And Lord, grant us the ability to receive the good news of your coming so that we might be prepared when you come to receive you in person. Lord, give me words as the preacher of your gospel this morning to speak to your people. Grant us all listening ears and open hearts. And Lord, take us from wrath to joy in this season of Advent. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Well, as I think we're all aware at this time, uh, that Advent is a season. Advent is a season of hope and anticipation for the coming of Jesus Christ in glory at the end of the age. And during this season, we look back in time to the prophetic word which promised his first coming, his first advent. We see that God fulfilled the longing of his people, that he was faithful to the word spoken through the prophets, and that the long-sought Savior was indeed given. And because God was faithful then, we can be sure that he will be faithful to fulfill the promise spoken through his son in John 14, I will come again. So maybe you've noticed, and maybe if you were very attentive, you noticed that that gospel reading was vaguely familiar. Like, yeah, it's like the second half of what we heard last week. But maybe you have noticed that there, is, or maybe you were even a little surprised that a lot of the readings and a lot of the preaching during Advent focus on things like God's judgment and the call to repentance. You know, that kind of preaching, those kind of words in the scriptures clash with the cheap, sappy sentimentalism of the secular holiday season. I don't know if, there, if you've seen any of these. Sometimes they put little flags up on, a, on lampposts and, and that will say things during the Christmas season like peace and goodwill. Well, if you're, ever, if you're anywhere near Haynes Mall Boulevard... <laughs> Uh, this time of year, you know that those signs don't mean a thing. That peace and goodwill are merely marketing words. They're not what's really happening. But last week and this morning, we heard words of wrath and words of judgment from John the baptizer and his stern injunction to repent. Those words are scandalizing. They're scandalizing to the artificial cheerfulness that we struggle to generate in our lives this time of year. And consequently, maybe more than any other time of the year, we are offended by the biblical portrayal of God as one who pours out wrath and vengeance. That's really not what we expect to hear during Advent, that God pours out wrath and vengeance. The preponderance of the Western world no longer believes that there is such a thing from the wrath to come from which we should be fleeing. And as I interact with the tattered remains of Protestant evangelicalism, it seems that we want the grace of God, but we do not want the judgment of God. We demand forgiveness, but we don't see the necessity for repentance. We're bemused and we're perplexed with the idea that God gets so upset with our sin. Which, by the way, we don't see as being particularly sinful. But you see, brothers and sisters, this is so important because grace only has meaning if there is the divine decree that the offender 
be subjected to God's punishment. Without the reality of God's wrath, there is no need for God's grace. Without the reality of God's wrath, there is no need for God's grace. So in his grace, this is what God says to us. Yes, you have acted wickedly, but I will not give you what you deserve. You deserve my wrath, but through my son, I grant you forgiveness and a new start instead. So we need to hear the message of judgment so that we can genuinely encounter grace. Now, the challenge is that most of us living in the Western world in the 21st century don't believe that we deserve wrath. God's wrath has become politically incorrect. We've canceled it. We're offended that God would unilaterally claim the prerogative to so order creation that our rebellion would result in undesirable consequences. And over against this, the prayer of confession offered before Holy Communion in what's called the, uh, the, the uh, what is it, the received Anglican, oh, the standard Anglican text, for Holy Communion, it's in your Book of Common Prayer. We always do the renewed ancient rite, but there's the standard Anglican text for Holy Communion, which is pretty much verbatim from the 1662 Book of Common Prayer. But I like the way that the prayer before Holy Communion in the 1662 Book of Common Prayer, the prayer of confession in 1662 BCP uh, gives these words. It says this, Almighty God, so this is getting ready to come to communion, all right? Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all men, we acknowledge and bewail. Now, we took out the word bewail in the new Book of Common Prayer and put lament, but I think we could explain to people what bewailing means. We acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness, which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed against thy divine majesty, and listen to these words, provoking most justly thy wrath, provoking most justly thy wrath and indignation against us. Beloved, we can never abandon the biblical belief that God's love for his creation, God's love for his creation is so ferocious that he is provoked to anger when it is corrupted and destroyed by sin. God's love is not sentimentality, but the white-hot dynamism that ignited the stars on the day of creation. God's love is not sentimentality. It is the only power that could fix the innocent Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, God's only Son, to the hard wood of the cross. God's love is not sentimentality, but it is the fire that will cleanse and renew creation on the day of his coming at the end of the age. God's love is not indulgence. It is perfectly wedded to his holiness. And in that vein, A.W. Tozer wrote, God is holy and holiness is the moral condition necessary to the health of the universe. Whatever is holy is healthy. The holiness of God, the wrath of God, and the health of creation are inseparably united. God's wrath is his utter, God's wrath is his utter intolerance of whatever degrades and destroys. He hates iniquity as a mother hated the polio that would take the life of her child. 
God's love and God's justice are inseparable. Amy or Ewing says that God's love, God's love cries out for justice. Love cries out for justice. She tells a story about uh, her husband. By the way, they're church planters in, the, in England, and uh, her husband has the nickname Frog. I don't know anybody other than her husband that's nicknamed Frog, and uh, I don't know why the story that she tells here happens in France, but, but her and Frog are in France. Some of us know the reference. Uh, but she and Frog had been given uh, money to go on holiday in France, and they had enough money to, to pay the toll to ride on the, the French version of the Audubon, the very fast, uh, typically fast uh, motorway called the Auto Route in France. And as they're tootling along in their car, uh, there is a blue light that begins to flash behind them, and Frog looks down. He's doing 83, 83 kilometers per hour, in a 80 kilometer per hour zone, 83 kilometers per hour. That's not even two miles over the speed limit. 83 kilometers in an 80 kilometer zone. And, he, and they say to each other, it's because we're English. And they're French. And they hate us. It's just so unjust. And then she says, isn't it interesting, our reaction? We did break the speed limit. You know, where we stand in regard to judgment massively affects how we view it. When we stand with the victim of a crime that has been perpetrated, our, our hearts cry out for justice. But when we get what we deserve, we don't like it at all. Here's the point, okay? Here's the point. We cannot experience the authentic joy of Christmas without going through the judgment and repentance of Advent. When we realize the gravity of sin, the intensity of God's wrath, and the certainty of God's judgment, it is only then that we can experience the fullness of joy that we heard from the prophet Zephaniah this morning. That beautiful prophecy in Zephaniah chapter 3. But you need to know and recognize that Zephaniah doesn't start out like that. Zephaniah chapter 1 doesn't begin with joyful words, rather it begins with words of terror. So we have the day of the Lord at the end of Zephaniah that's really fun and happy. And I love those words. God sing, re rejoicing over us with singing. All right, But he begins that little prophecy with these words. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble of the with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom. Are you getting the point here? Uh, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. One commentator says, these aren't healing words, these are killing words. They function to kill our flesh of the misconceptions we may harbor about God and our relationship with him. They kill our sense of security and confidence in our own abilities. They ought to frighten us and shake us from the, our lethargy, and they need to be preached that way. 
But the good news is that God's word of judgment is not God's final word to humanity. God's final word is not judgment. God's final word is Jesus. God's final word is not judgment. God's final word is Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power, and after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, brothers and sisters, the day of the Lord that Zephaniah chapter 1 foretells, that day of judgment has already come. Yes, there will be a final judgment at the end of the age, but the day that God poured out his wrath and judgment on humanity came at Calvary 2,000 years ago. On that day, the wrath of God, again, this is Timothy Seleska. On that day, the wrath of God against our sin exploded on, his, exploded on his only begotten son. His own father forsook him, forsook him and as St. Paul says, God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. And that is why the good news is such good news. That's why the joy prophesied in Zephaniah 3 is so joyous. Just as the prophet foretold the coming of judgment, he has foretold the coming of grace and forgiveness. Listen to those words again, beautiful words, memorable words, singable words. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in the midst of you. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is, with your, is in your midst, a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. And he will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. So now the voice of God to us in Jesus Christ is not condemnation and judgment. He is rejoicing over us with loud singing. And that's why the angels declare at the birth of Jesus, fear not, for behold, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The good news is so good because the bad news, the bad news of our sin and God's judgment were so bad. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has taken away our punishments. He has defeated our enemies, and he is in our midst evermore. Now that he has saved us, we are not the recipients of his wrath and judgment. No, instead of us, he rejoices over us with gladness. He quiets our troubled hearts with his love, and God himself exalts over you and me with loud singing. We need to just let that sink in. 
we can know this kind of joy because we have been through an advent in which we were brought face to face with just how dire our situation was. We were bound for death and hell. But in the dark of night long ago, in Bethlehem, a teenaged mother gave birth to a little boy and laid him in a manger crib. And he, this little one, is God's last word to us. He is the word made flesh. And that word is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.